0: The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. We're back on Spotify again. Yeah, what happened
1: with that? We were, why were we thrown off in the first place? Your love
2: of Star Trek
1: is what's really responsible for this happening. No, well, how is that, how is that possible? That show Picard came out the CBS all access streaming only show, and the very first episode, it was, it opened with blue skies. You remember the song? I do. We played four and a half seconds of it. Oh. So it was Universal, I believe, who fired off a a cease and desist to Spotify, and Spotify just pulled the plug on us participating in the first place. I, I have to admit, it may have been ultimately my fault. I may have gotten an email that I ignored too long. Oh, and it, you sure it was four and a half seconds? It was so short. Was it at the beginning of the podcast or buried within? Right at the beginning of the show. Yeah, there you go. As soon as the theme kick ended, boom, there it was. And you and I in violation of Spotify's terms. And there was, it was like screaming into the wind trying to get any help. I literally went to one of the people at the top of that mute record label. To say, hey, do you think there's anything you can find out for me? Maybe we could figure out how to get this fixed. Nothing. Then we switched uh, providers for our service. And Libsyn actually has, as part of its package, when you onboard with them, they will provide you with the ability to plug all of your podcasts into all of those podcatchers. Your Googles, your Apples, your spotifys And I'm like, well, hook me up. And next thing we know, it's like Spotify forgot all about our infringement.
2: Oh, because we went through another door.
1: Exactly. So, so long as we don't start playing copyrighted content again, we should be okay.
2: As long as you don't start playing copyrighted material again is part of your production duties. True.
1: It's, uh, it, it literally is all my fault. It is all your fault, yes. The problem is, is that when we were off the air on Spotify, it was a huge dent. Because Spotify, as you know, is now the number two source for podcasts in, in the world. Well. In Canada, at least. No, it's number one. Number one is YouTube. Oh. According to the podcast exchange and our good friend Jean-Marie Honrath.
2: I did not know that. I do know that podcasts are much more popular on Spotify in Canada than they are on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts.
1: Right. So we were cut off from a huge audience and we had no recourse if it wasn't for the simple fact that we switched providers we would still be cut off from one of the most popular ways of listening to podcasts today.
2: So are all our podcasts up and running or just the
1: most recent ones? (laughs) Right. So when they pulled the plug on us, I, of course, stopped playing uh, copyrighted content within the show. And then when I went to Libsyn, I set it up so that only about 12 episodes are available to Spotify and none of them have copyrighted content in them.
2: So now that we've done a little bit of experimenting and that Spotify seems to be playing ball, are you going to add more podcasts from the archives?
1: They will all from this stage forward go on, but I am not going back into the archives because almost every episode we've ever played at some point had content created by somebody else in it. And who knows how that algorithm is going to kick us in the ass.
2: That's true. Now, so everybody knows, technically, you cannot have even one nanosecond of copyrighted music in a podcast. There is no such thing as free use. There is no such thing as fair use. There is no such thing as using something for um, educational purposes, unless... No, I don't think you can even use it for that. So um, right now... What I'm to understand is that 17% of all podcasts on the planet feature some kind of music. Now, when you consider how many podcasts and how many podcast episodes that's, there are, that's a lot of music. And right now, the music industry and the copyrights and the publishers and the rights holders, they're all sort of, they're, they're all leaving tremendous amounts of money on the table. But there is nowhere, anywhere on the planet or the known universe where... People like you and me can go and say, hey, we would like to use a song in a podcast legally and we would like to pay you for it. We would like a license. We would like to kick back some money, whatever it is. We would like to do it right. There is no method. There is no place where we can go. There is no form we can fill out that will make it legal
1: anywhere. Trust me. And again, to your point, we're leaving money on the table here because we would be more than happy to pay a couple of bucks each episode uh, to make sure that we're up and above board on all of this kind of stuff, because really, you're not losing money, Mr. Musician. And quite frankly, I'm sure you know this better than I do. It's not the musicians who came down on Geeks and Beats. It's this anonymous algorithm system that has no real recourse if it catches you with a false positive. It's just the system is not interested. They are leaving a tremendous amount of money on the
2: table. And if we look at the way things are going with uh, platforms like Instagram and TikTok and how songs are being broken through those platforms, it's it's just insane that there is no easy mechanism to use music legally.
1: All right. So let's try this and see if we get immediately kicked off Spotify again. (laughs) Yeah. Stand by. Here we go.
0: From Studio Three B, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Haynesworth, featuring musical guest Sting. You can
1: Legendary drummer Neil Peart would have been 68 this past weekend. We taunt the Spotify gods with some isolated audio tracks.
0: I don't know if you want
2: to poke that but okay. Plus, your devil-worshipping smartphone is about to get a makeover.
1: And the UFO invasion has begun. Oh, it's been around for a while. We just have proof now. Ah, uh, do you believe? I do. Truth is out there.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.
1: Neil Peart would have turned 68 last Saturday, and you found some isolated drum parts that show just what we lost.
2: Yeah. Now, I will go back and tell my story. Um, I heard Rush play the 2112 Overture back in somewhere around 76, 77. I decided from that point on I wanted to be a drummer. So I... Uh, started taking lessons, and then I graduated to being a teacher, and then when I was a, a teacher, I would put all my student, uh, all the money I made from from students into a credit, into an account with uh, Kerry, the guy who ran the shop at Drums Unlimited at Inkster in North, uh, Main Street in, in Winnipeg, and uh, when I had so much money in my account, I would buy another piece of, of kit, and uh, it got to the point where uh, by 1982 or 83, I had a moving pictures-style drum kit. Tama Imperial Stars. They were uh, brushed silver. They were maple um, maple shells. Uh, just a- an absolutely huge Neil Peart-type type kit. And um, I, I became... I was a lifelong Rush fan. And so he dies earlier this year, and it's one of those situations where you don't realize what you got till it's gone. I mean, we all certainly... Appreciated Rush for who they were. But now that they're gone, and now that we're, uh, we'll never get anything new from them, it's fascinating to go back and and re examine what they could do as musicians. And Neil Peer was just, he was just an insanely creative drummer. And if you listen to these isolated tracks, uh, you'll see how, first of all, how inventive he is with what he was playing. Um, How steady he was. I mean, rock solid. I mean, that cesium clock uh, accuracy in what he's playing. And he had a thing where he would not play anything in the studio for a song that he could not play live using two arms and two legs. And so what you hear on the record is what he played live. And when you consider that this guy played and toured well into his 60s, playing up to three hours a night, insane just absolutely insane the 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 his abilities
1: let's back up to that idea that he wouldn't lay down a track that he couldn't play live in an industry where multi-track recording not just for all the other instruments but even percussion was critical how did he create the complexity without having to overdub himself in a live environment
2: sheer skill sheer skill if you listen to these isolated tracks you can hear him making so much noise with four limbs it's otherworldly it's godlike it really is and when when you're playing at that level it's not you're just not keeping time you're writing your part for your song because you're part of a three-piece and you're a progressive rock band you have to contribute a lot to the overall arrangement Rush did do overdubs with guitars and uh, keyboards and a variety of things. But when it came to Neil, there was no such thing. He just was that good.
1: The drum kit he had looks insane to me. I couldn't possibly imagine anyone needing all of this gear all at once.
2: No, you don't need it all at once. Uh, When you play live, though, uh, you may adjust where you sit behind the kit to access other parts of it uh for example when i was i went to see the r40 tour at the mgm grand hotel in las vegas and i got a tour backstage uh, by uh from neil's drum tech and he had two kits set up he had a more contemporary kit that was used for material let's just say 1985 and forward and then he had another kit let's just say 1984 and backward and uh the one that the, the the second one was what he would have played, or something similar to what he would have played during the twenty one twelve era, and just to sit behind that kit and see what was there. It's 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 if you're a drummer, you understand. You have your your basic setup, but you want to surround yourself with as many noisemakers as you possibly can, and uh, the the amount of noise that you can make is only restricted by the the amount of space that you have.
1: How is this for a geeky segue? The Devil's horns that I'm sure Rush fans are very familiar with. Although I don't believe Rush would get credit for creating the Devil's horns. No, no, that was Ronnie James Dio. Right. We also have the Devil's horns on our latest smartphone generation. We do. We do. Don't you? Does doesn't your phone have the Devil's horns on? I don't even bother with emojis. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm not talking about emojis. I'm talking about the little notch at the top of your phone. Oh, the notch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 I got that. You won't have it for much longer, my friend.
2: So this week, I guess this will come out on
1: Wednesday. So yesterday, we should have heard about a I guess the iPhone 12, right? And if you follow my Where's My Jetpack web series, you would have watched Aaron Lawrence and me do the live stream at 1 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday as we engaged in some ass hattery as well as insight into that whole new world. surprising thing to come out of the apple iphone announcement was that there was no iphone announced it was just for the apple watch and the new ipad there's uh, two new Apple Watches, as a matter of fact. The Apple Watch Series 6 gets a oxygen blood sensor uh, that will help it with more fitness-oriented technologies. And the interesting thing about that is that they're also bringing in a, an on-demand service, kind of like Netflix, for the gym. It's basically exercise without actually having to hire a trainer and there's a a per month subscription associated with it ties into music as well but the real idea here is that you don't want to buy just the subscription to fitness plus you're going to buy the bundle, the new thing they call Apple One, and it's 15 U.S. dollars a month for the individual that does iTunes, Apple TV, Apple Arcade, and iCloud uh, for the storage. But for 30 bucks U.S. a month, basically 40 to some odd Canadian dollars uh, a month, you'll get basically everything they they have, including that new fitness uh, capability. But back to the Apple Watches, Um, Aaron Lawrence and I uh, were looking at all of these different features. And the Apple Watch SE is I think the one that really pushes the smartwatch into the mainstream. It's only 280 bucks. It's basically the current generation without that uh, sensor for blood oxygen levels or the brighter always on display, but it is substantially less expensive and includes GPS and cellular. So it's the kind of thing where once you've got a lot of people, connected via fitness plus whether they're using it actively or not you've got big data and when you've got big data you can use machine learning to create artificial intelligence algorithms and at the end of the day as we discussed on where's my jetpack apple will have the ability to not only track the health of people all around the world all at once but using the big data predict the health of people all around the world, where hotspots are flaring up, where they're going to get worse, where they're getting better. You can then use that information as a government to deploy resources to any particular area in advance. So in addition to Apple quantifying our entire universe in our pockets and on our wrists, they're gonna start turning that into opportunities to figure out more about who we are. If you want to know more about this sort of thing, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about on my new series. So you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Where's My Jetpack. uh, The handle is MyJetpackCA, or you can just go to Where'sMyJetpack.ca. ZTE recently announced, in the Android world, the world's first smartphone with a behind-the-screen camera, which eliminates the need for the devil's horns at the top of your screen. Of the notch. Okay, well, I is it a Samsung unit? It's a ZTE. Oh, it's ZTE, okay. The Americans aren't too keen on anything coming out of China right now. Right, so this is somewhere below Huawei. But the upshot is that anything that comes to Android in the early days ultimately ends up coming to Apple, what, two years later, and then Apple pretends like they were the first ones to come up with this idea. Right. The way they're doing this camera thing, and it's we're a little concerned about the veracity of their claims it's the ZTE Axon 25G and what they've managed to do is shrink the pixels around the camera lens itself so the camera is literally shooting through the spaces in the pixels to be able to take the image and what resolution does that camera have they won't say what the camera is but the screen itself is a 6.92 inch uh, 2460 by 1080 OLED display. Okay. But the problem is, is they've got these mock-ups that make it obvious that they're mock-ups because they have to make the pixels smaller. So this behind the camera itself, the pixels are going to be a little bit lighter. You're going to be able to see it. We can't see it in these examples that they've given us here. So this... Uh, is a technical issue that they may have to overcome, but we may have a more important social issue to overcome. Which is? At this point, you can see a camera. You know when a little beady eyeball is staring at you and possibly recording you. We are about to enter a future where every screen could have a camera behind it, whether you know it or not. Kind of like what we saw with Google Glass. Right.
2: You know, which freaked people out, because if you saw somebody with instead of Google Glasses on, you knew that there was a very real possibility that they were
1: recording you. That concern led people to push back against Google Glass. They were referred to as glass holes. Do you recall? Mm hmm. Do we remember that? Wow. Um, that kind of issue is going to come back around again when we get into the world of augmented reality. This device from ZTE, the Axon 25G, as the name implies, is a fifth generation wireless phone. It's a 5G phone that is going to be able to provide us with the kind of speeds and uh, latency, the reduced time it takes to go from point A to point B, to the point where AR is going to be just ubiquitous. And we are going to have little cameras on our eyeglasses, just like we used to with a Google Glass. Now, let me back
2: up in just a second. I have seen some stories that 5G has been overhyped in terms of speed.
1: Is that true? That is true. It is largely true. The 5G rollout that we're seeing right now is in part piggybacked on 4G, but um, it doesn't have the the infrastructure in place in some parts of the world. So that combined with really, really deceptive marketing practices. Uh, you've got some uh, carriers in the United States claiming 5G when it's not. We've got people claiming that uh, their Wi-Fi is 5G when it's 5 gigahertz. Gigahertz, that's something completely different. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so there is a, a problem that 5G is trying to overcome right now, which is perception. But the reality is, for the public, 5G is just going to be another G. The real power of the fifth generation wireless is going to be for industry 4.0. The fourth industrial revolution is coming because these devices, um, the, this, the technology of 5G, can connect not a hundred or a thousand devices per tower. It can connect hundreds of thousands of devices per tower. So we're going to see the sensor revolution Everything is going to be quantified in our universe, from how many times a door opens to the temperature in an elevator, and all of those things are going to be hooked up to 5G. So now we have to deal with the potential for security issues when the entire world, your front door lock to whether or not your toilet flushes, we're going to have to worry about that. Yeah. Speaking of toilet flushing, Tushy's going to be sending us a demo unit of their bidet. Um, you can have it. You came back from Asia going on and on and on about the alternative to toilet paper.
2: I did, but I, 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 listen, I am, you can still have it.
1: (laughs) They're going to send it to me. I'm going to install it. We're going to talk about it on the big show because it seems to me that you've got vegans, crossfitters, Linux users, and now bidet owners. You know what they all have in common? Uh,
2: they're they're absolutely insane about their interests.
1: Absolutely. The number of people who have just volunteered to me that they now own a bidet is bizarre. Have you ever had the water up your butt? Um, Once or twice. And you didn't find it to be a revolution?
2: I found it to be messy. <laughs> and wet.
1: It, well, very wet, yes. But uh, I was in a hotel in Vegas, and they had one, and... It wasn't necessarily uh, the water up the butt that I was particularly interested in. It was the heated seat.
2: Yes. Now, I have uh, partaken of the Japanese toilets, the high-tech
1: Japanese toilets. Um,
2: That's I what I'm have... talking about here, basically. Oh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, Because
1: but... what it is, is an add-on for your existing toilet. You take off the seat. Oh. You put this seat down on top of it. And then you put, your, well, it's not really a seat, it's, it's a unit. And then you put yeah. your seat back on top of it, and it all it has is little console off to the side.
2: Okay. Yes, because I I, I did have a relationship with a toilet uh, in um, Narita Airport at the uh, ANA Lounge once. Um, a relationship? I did. It was, um, I, I had a, a long layover, and I had a shower, and then I tried to figure out, well, i, well, I got to get on there for two hours before I have to catch my plane. Uh, what does this thing do? So I, I played with it for a while. So yes, I know the one. I know what you're talking about. Right. So. And this one, this one did everything. This one, the only thing this one did not have was a Bluetooth connection for your phone. Kohler makes a toilet that has a Bluetooth connection, so that when you go into the Biffy, uh, it will connect to your phone and play music that is suitable for the occasion.
1: And, and what music would you deem suitable for the occasion?
2: Oh, that's the point. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But this particular toilet frightened me because it had a control panel that looked like it might be uh, capable of launching a a Dreamliner aircraft. (laughs) But, man, uh, it was—we were on a first-name basis by the time I left.
1: Oh, and the unit that I had in Vegas, if you press the button, there was a button especially for the ladies. It would move forward and backwards. I don't know why it was just for the ladies. I was enjoying it myself.
2: Okay, this is too much information. Can we move on to the next topic,
1: please? Oh, well, you mentioned, you know, the the Dreamliner and that this toilet felt like you were piloting an aircraft. Maybe you felt like you were piloting a UFO.
2: What are we going to talk about?
1: The pilot who witnessed the infamous declassified UFO... Says the object committed an act of war during the encounter. By jamming radar. That's right. I didn't know that by refusing to allow radar to do its thing, that was considered an act of war.
2: And I didn't realize. And how long has it been since those stories came out? About two years now, three years?
1: Well, the, it was just recently, the video was leaked in 2017, and then it was declassified by the Pentagon um, in 2020. But the actual event took place in 2004.
2: Right. So uh, we have not heard up until now about the jamming of the radar uh, or any of those other things, have we?
1: No, we have not. And I just find it ridiculous that an American military pilot refers to this as an act of war, as if if this was, in fact, an alien, that they would have the United Nations code, the Geneva Convention book, (laughs) right there on the console next to their flying machine.
2: Yeah, but we still don't know where this thing came from, and we don't know who was piloting it, if it was, in fact, piloted, and if that, in fact, was real. I want it to be real. I really do. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah.
1: They tracked it for four straight minutes. This wasn't a case where you have a typical UFO encounter where uh, a pilot sees something they think they see and then it's gone. They followed this thing for quite a length of time. And when it was more than one pilot, too. Right. There were a series of these that were declassified by the Pentagon earlier this year, uh, but the one that we're referring to here is the one that Commander David uh, Fravor witnessed, this tic-tac-shaped object performing these extraordinary aerial maneuvers that they believed back in 2004 that no human technology would be capable of. And a lot of it had to do with acceleration. Have you read
2: those science fiction novels by Li Sixing? I have not. Uh, the Three-Body Problem. Okay. Excellent trilogy of science and fiction novels written by this uh, this Chinese master, and uh, by the way, coming to Netflix sometime soon. Oh, really? Uh, and what he describes in one part of these books is a metallic object that behaved much like the Tic Tac object. Um, let me just explain uh, these these books: the Three Body Problem, and they want two, two that follow. Uh, basically what happens is we send out a message into space. Some aliens from the Alpha Centauri star system say, we heard you, hang on, we'll be there in 400 years to invade. So it's a slow motion invasion that comes, and you can see the ships massing and moving their way to, to Earth. And at one point, there is an encounter with, with the aliens, and this uh, teardrop-shaped metallic object does all the same things that the TikTok. tock t- did all the same things that this tic-tac object did.
1: Didn't Stephen Hawking shortly before his death come out to say that he thought it was a bad idea that we'd be sending out signals into the universe saying, come visit us? Yes. There's
2: something called, uh, let me just find it here. It is called the Dark Forest, uh, which is one of the names of uh, one of these books. And basically, it's like everybody, basically it says that if you are, a civilization of advanced capabilities what you will inevitably be led to do is hunt down other civilizations that may one day challenge your supremacy and wipe them out it's called the dark Force theory and that way uh you will you will re, you know retain your primacy and never be you know surprised and, and conquered
1: so that's what Stephen Hawking was talking about not that he knew what he was going on about well, no. Time now for Geeks and Beats Update.
0: London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats Magazine, this is a GNB News Update.
1: I want to say thank you to Scott Weston, Lisa Logan, Marty Steele, Stephen Hulin, uh, P- Stephen? That looks like Stephen. Philip Muller. Blake and Trish Lindberger and Michael LeBlanc, uh, among others, for being members of the world's worst intern program. You pay us, you do nothing, but we will vote for you. Right. You pay a dollar to work on the show. You don't do any actual work. And we say thank you. And if you want to kick it up a notch and really support the show, you can become a co-producer. And the way you do that is you go to geeksandbeats.com, click on the support the show link for 25 bucks. We will make you a co-producer. You can suggest any topic you want. We will talk about it. And you can put it on your resume on LinkedIn.
2: And again, if people want to phone us or contact us for any kind of reference,
1: we'll give it to them. Absolutely. And the best thing about being a co-producer on The Big Show is that we will send you the album art of that week's episode that includes your name. So you can print it off, frame it, hang it in your parents' basement, and they can finally be proud
2: I apologize for the barking dogs. There's something going on outside there.
1: How are the pooches doing uh, under COVID? They must be uh, wondering whatever happened to, to your wife. She used to leave the house on a regular basis. They are so happy. They have a new routine now. Um, everybody's up at, well, the older
2: one is up at six. So she goes and looks out for squirrels in the backyard. Then at seven, she's waiting for me by the back door, wanting me to take her for breakfast because over the course of the summer, we, that's what we would do is we'd go out for breakfast together.
1: Like a greasy spoon or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, what would she
2: order? Um, she does like bacon and eggs, and she's a big fan of bacon and uh, toast, rye toast with uh, peanut butter. Good tipper? but uh, well, yes.
0: Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.